0: Let's give it a few seconds. Good evening, guys. Uh welcome to Live and Undrugged episode nineteen. As always, uh sponsored by uh Armour Scaffolding uh and um No Means City Clothing. Uh, I'm here with uh, author, soldier, um, hero, uh, um, Paul Bogey. Cheers for coming on, Paul. It's uh, great to finally have you on and to share your story. Um, So let's go back to the start, mate, and um, where it all began.
1: Thanks for having me on, Jack. Um, so like Jack said there, I've got a copy of my book, hero into hero. um the reason that that book came around um was obviously the title I was a heroine addict, but I'll go slightly further back so I know Jack I'll want to go back to my childhood. I grew up in Edinburgh. then the second eldest, the four boys, I had a good upbringing. Strict parents, integrated into a gang from as far back as I can remember. For me back then, it wasn't a gang, just a bunch of friends. Just that sometimes there was 40 or 50 of us, but it was just friends that stayed in the area, friends you went to school with. Nothing really bad um, happened, but then obviously as... Young boys, you know, get older, people start to rebel. And, you know, that's when crimes started being committed. I wasn't a bad lad. And I can say that with a straight face. You know, if I had committed some horrendous crimes in life, then, you know, I would be truthful and hold my hands up to it. Sort of things that I'd done. I was a firebug. I was a little arsonist. Um, I just liked lighting fires everywhere I went and smashing windows, I suppose, as well. You know, never really got any more serious than that for me. There was always drugs, alcohol on the scene for an early age. I tried alcohol. I tried cannabis. People were um, sniffing glue, buzzing gas. Um... You know, and that was just normal. It was just like everybody was doing it. A lot of the gang members were older. You know, they were in their mid-20s and we were 12 and 13 years old. So to access alcohol was simple. They were old enough to go to the shop to buy it. So we didn't have to worry about fake ID, trying to make ourselves look older and all that sort of stuff. Then um, jumping ahead slightly to the age 18, I the area that I stayed in was absolutely flooded with heroin on and it caught everybody off guard. Families included, people that you would never imagine would ever be taking that drug ended up taking it and they're still taking it to this day. You know, I seen one of them last week and he looked really, really really bad actually and you know I'm coming up 17 years off heroin and I suppose when I looked at him when I was in the car he was at the bus stop as I drove past and I looked at him and I'm not sure if he seen me because he was it was about out of his face but I remember thinking imagine if I wasn't able to break away the way that I did you know would I look as bad as that if I'd done another seventeen years on heroin? Would I still be here? <laughs> you know, as, you know I, that's the reality. Would, would I still be here? Um, so I was. My, my addiction only lasted for seven years. I say only because a lot of the people that I grew up with are still on heroin now some have died, and some those that have survived are still on the drugs. Very few broke away. Um, and so seven years, it seemed like an eternity back then, but when I look at it now, it was a small portion in my life um, where I was down and out. I had given up on life I didn't have a future drugs were going to kill me it was only a matter of time and I accepted that and that was the reason why I just stopped trying and I suppose it's the reason I stopped caring and stuff as well then I attended a course through sirenians about the mind this, this course Jack It was absolutely crazy because it's nothing to do with addiction. Nothing to do with with addiction whatsoever. And I remember sitting on the course laughing at this American psychologist telling me that I've got the ability to change my life. Bullshit. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is telling me that I can change my life? no I can't, I've tried, I'm a heroin addict, I've relapsed 13 times, I'm going to keep relapsing until I die, so who is he to tell me that I can change my life, and I remember being super critical of that boy, for that week, we were worked through this course on the power of the mind, I thought I had deflected all the information that was coming in for that week about negative people, negative um, influences and all that sort of stuff that goes along with mindset. And then, like I said, on May, May the 14th, I'll be 17 years off heroin. And I remember the morning that I woke up as normal, methadone on the table, tablets on the table, cannabis on the table. I'd had heroin the night before. Um, everything was the same as what it was every other day um, mostly and make a a milky cup of tea so I could swallow all my tablets really quickly Um, and that morning I went and put the kettle on and something was different I remember walking I had a a skimpy pair of boxer shorts on I remember walking up to this, I had a big mirror above my fireplace and I was under eight stone at that point. The doctor had told me malnutrition will kill you before heroin does, Paul. You better start eating. That gave me a little bit of fright, but it didn't really affect anything at the time for me to really change. It just made me more scared than what what, I already was. Um, Then on that morning, on May the 14th, something was different. I didn't know exactly then what it was, but something about this American psychologist had sprung into my mind from nowhere. And I remember that it's a, a question that I had to ask myself what do I want in life? What do I want? And back then, Jack, I just wanted not to be a heroin addict. It's all I ever wanted. You know, the, the shame that I'd caused my family Um. is irreparable. But that was all I wanted. You know, I just wanted not to be a heroin addict. And when I walked... Uh, up to that mirror. I put my nose on the glass of the mirror. I looked at my eyes. I looked straight into my eyes and I said, don't fucking ask for heroin ever again because you're never getting any. And instant, for that moment, for that instant, that split second with my nose on the mirror, I knew I was never touching heroin for the rest, for the rest of my life. I knew, and that was a crazy feeling. The, the goosebumps I've spoke about many times, the size of golf balls on my body. Um, that instant question, what do you want straight away? Not to be a heroin addict. Right, it's your choice. This American psychologist telling me it's my choice It uh, somehow planted a seed and I didn't know that that seed was there. And when I realised he's right, the only person that can change my life as me, and if I want it enough, I can make it so. And I realized that. And once I realized that in my heart, I wanted not to be a heroin addict. The problem was my mental health problems. That's the reason I'm a heroin addict. My mental health, nothing to do with um, my physical withdrawals, nothing to do with my fear of going cold turkey, nothing to do with, with anything with like that. You know, it's it was my mental state of mind that was causing me to remain an addict and once I started working on my own mind and my realisation that change is possible for me, for anyone, but at that moment in time, that split second, I can do it. Um, I've done it. Instant. And that's crazy. You know, when I talk to um, doctors and um, recovering addicts when I speak to current addicts, it's a crazy concept for people to get their headrooms jack. you know, like people just think like, "Wow, is that is he is he bullshitting? Is that real? Can that really happen? Can you do it that way? Doctors tell you to wean yourself off or you'll die. You know I'm called bullshit. Paul, never done it that way. Oh well, no, I caught you know I'm not a bullshit. I did do it that way, and it was an instant thing. you know, I went through all the crap. The, the cold turkey it was a walk in the park compared to the 13 times I'd done it previous because I never had these mental health issues where I was doubting myself or I was hoping to get clean and then I'm hoping to stay clean it's just a hope and the problem with having a hope in life is that you're just hoping for the best, you know. Unless you take control, you're never going to know if you're going to succeed in staying clean. So that was the difference for me, and that's suppose why I've I'm doing now what I'm doing, you know. But straight from that moment, I done cold Turkey. Um, I started running all around Edinburgh. For us, gumping it everywhere, music in my ears, and I just ran. Um, then started doing weights. Then I took up boxing. The boxing helped massively with my anger management. I got extremely fit, and then I got a job. I was back working again. Then I had, something was missing. I've got this newfound fitness, this newfound body, where I was like you know, quite ripped. I was like, geez, the muscles were popping out me and stuff. And I was like, wearing tight T-shirts and catching glimpses of myself in a mirror where I used to be a little skinny rat like that, you know, and hated looking at myself in the mirror. And I'd be walking past the supermarket window. It'd just be the reflection on the window. And I'd be standing there like, look at the size of you. Like, I was like that that feel-good factor. And it was like, I need to do something with my life. Like, let's do something anything need disrespect to people that work in a supermarket I didn't want to be working in a supermarket for the rest of my life I felt I need to do something Um, and again this American psychologist was very much a part in my mind back then as well what do I want my my own answer is something something different so I looked at being a fireman um the the what do you call the what do you call the the sheets of paper that you get for a for an interview oh that's what Please. the was sorry C V No CV?
0: like
1: the application form for the for the application form for All the right. fire brigade it was the size of yellow pages this thing. And I was like, geez, oh, like, that's going to take me just probably months to fill that out. I was like, that's going to take too long. And then I thought about the police, you know, and I was like, hmm, the police? I would have to move away because half of my pals are criminals. So I'm going to have to move away, you know? And I was like, I don't know about that. And then it was one of those things where army, how about being a soldier? Could I be a soldier? Back then, there was nothing that I couldn't do. So, you know, I was... Um, I seen it on a, a newspaper sitting in the staff canteen, recruiting for the army. I thought I was too old. I was almost 30. I genuinely believed I was too old. I thought that my time to be a soldier has been and gone. Oh, well, that's a shame. For the life of me, Jack, I was walking through Edinburgh, and I do not know there's an army recruitment office just off of Princess Street in Edinburgh, and I do not know for the life of me why that day I walked in that office, because in my mind, I was too old. So I walked in, pipe major of the Scots Guard sitting at his desk. I pretty much wasn't in the office for two minutes. I think the corporal behind the desk said, he'll see you. I walked through, he says to me, geez, oh, how old are you? And I said, I'm almost 30. He says, right. He says, are you fit? I says, aye. I says, I'm in the gym every day and I run every day. I'll get you Scots Guards. Like that. Handing me, me a pamphlet. I didn't know who the Scots Guards were. I looked at the pamphlet and I seen this wee guy we a red tunic and a bearskin and a rifle standing outside Buckingham Palace, and I was like, "Oh, toy soldier! He's just a wee toy soldier. Imagine doing that for a living. I wonder if I could do that." Um, So I was like, "Right, okay." Um, So I'm not too old, so I left, and then when I got home, and I'd done my research on YouTube, you put in "Scott scarves." And then they're cutting around with the Warrior, which is like a mini tank. And I watched this, this introductory video to the Scots Guards. you seen them on the front line in Afghanistan and Iraq and stuff. And I, I'm reading about them. They're saying, look, the guards. The guards go to this the, the front. They're in front of everyone. Like, they're the fighting force of the British Army. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, it's like, oh shit, right. They're not just toy soldiers. Like, right, There's going to be a we merit this. I was watching some of the videos and watching the hearing the rounds going wasn't past. <laughs> like, like, oh for fuck's sake. Like shit, like uh, can I? You know, asking myself in my own mind, can I do this? Um, like I said like my mindset back then was just that determination, just to prove a point to everybody prove a point prove a point to myself and I was just like okay, well, fuck it let's do it so went back up and um, got my I, I done a week down in cataract a look at life a look at army life course loved it I was in amongst 17 18 year old laddies and I'm nearly 30 old enough to be their dad you know I'm cutting around I'm fitter than them all lying out in the middle of nowhere in the long grass getting eaten by midges, they're all moaning this is shite, I'm not doing this fuck joining the army, who would join the army, we need to lie here and no move um, with all these midges eating us, fuck that, and then they, they, they all quit, like none of them ended up joining but I remember lying in that long grass, getting eaten by the midges and as annoying as they did, the little bastards are huh? um, for me, I remember sitting looking up at the trees in the blue sky and it was like a summer's night when we were doing it. And it was just like, like, fucking bring it on. Bring it on. Like, you know, and I went home on cloud nine, told my mum and dad, I'm going to join the army. Right? i told all my friends, I'm going to join the army. And they're all fucking laughing at me. Everybody. Everybody's laughing at me. Saying, shut up. Like, you're too old for a start. You're not going to join the army. And it's like, I'm like, oh, fucking watch me. They're like, you know, watch me. And it was like, get uh, seen to them, like, didn't doubt me? Didn't doubt me? <laughs> I said, I'll prove you. It's like I proved you wrong, you know, with, with the drugs and stuff. When I will I'll, I'll prove you, I'll prove I'll prove you's wrong and I'll do it. So I went and done my medical, passed the medical, disclosed about my head on addiction. It was fine, I was clean long enough and I was also fit enough. So signed a bit of paper, sent me to basic training. Um, I had five amazing years in the army. But unfortunately, I was in a serious car crash where I broke my back and crushed my spine. So I was me- medically discharged in 2015. Um and as a result of that accident, I'm left on fucking copious amounts of tablets. opiate, opioid, opioid tablets, tramadols, codeine. Then I'm, on, then I'm on these gabapentins and pregabalins and fucking amitriptylines, nortriptylines. And the doctors knew, the military doctors knew about my heroin past, but there wasn't any alternatives other than these opiate tablets. So I went back on them. And it shouldn't be a shock to anyone that I became addicted. Because it doesn't matter if the doctors give me drugs or I buy them off the street. Your body doesn't know where the fucking drugs have come from. You know, your body doesn't say, right, well, I'm going to be addicted. I'm only going to be addicted to street drugs. But the ones that the doctor give me, The doctor's going to give me them so they'll be okay. It doesn't work like that. So I became addicted to these drugs. Then I started abusing these prescription drugs, justifying it to myself in my own mind because I'm in a lot of physical pain every day, weigh my back. I'm justifying it. Then I start smoking cannabis. Then that gets out of hand. So now I'm taking a lot of opiates and I'm having a big fat joint, big big fat joint at night time, is it any wonder that I'm sitting there wasted like I was on heroin? You know, and it was like, I enjoyed that feeling. I enjoyed that feeling of zoning out of my reality not being so apparent when I'm out my face on my tramadols. My life's a little bit better. There's a little bit Less stress, or less bitterness, less sadness, less wallowing in self-pity, when I'm on the tramadols. So I became emotionally dependent on these drugs to get a little, few hours every day, a feeling out of it. Um, then, as time goes on, years, years, I sort of gave up, giving up on life again, and. I was starting to get a lot of physical symptoms, pains in my chest, migraines every day, pains in my gut. Like, you're going to get that when you swallow all these paracetamols, eight paracetamol a day, eight codeine phosphate or eight tramadols a day. You know, it takes an effect on the body. So I knew where the pains, what was causing the pains, but I had no way out. The doctors and Spinal specialists and white coats had told me, "Accept it. You're on tablets for the rest of your life, Paul. That's your reality now. You can't be a soldier. You're going to have to deal with it as best you can." And I remember having that conversation, Mel, The spinal specialist, you know, and I was like, "Right, okay, right, cheers, sir. I see you later." And I, you know, I just get, I just given up again. Then I had a a breakdown about a year and a half ago and I had become sad, but not suicidal. I've been suicidal in my life, and I wasn't suicidal during this breakdown that I had recently. I was just sad and depressed and withdrawn from society withdrawn from family and friends. I went nowhere. It was me and my wife. That's it. For years. And that's the way I liked it. People are going to judge me. People are going to think I'm back on the smack. People are going to look at me and say, oh, look, he's not looking too well. Bet he's back on the smack. Um, and I had that fear, paranoia, that was causing me to hide in the house, missing weddings, missing funerals, and... So, and then lockdown hit. Lockdown hit, and it was like my wife came in and said, Oh, see, we're in lockdown. And I'm like, Yeah. For how long? Two weeks? Well, what the fuck am I going to do in two weeks? I know that I was going out to the house anyway. So I was like, You know what? I'm going to do something. Um, give me the book. So I had, a, I had a, big, a big folder with all the stuff that I've been writing since the age of 18. Um, No, no no for 18. From my early 20s, I've been writing. Um, And I've been collecting all these bits of paper. So I got it. I sat up for three days and three nights on the chair over there, drinking stupid amounts of cups of tea. Um, And I sat with the music on and I wrote and wrote and wrote. And cried loads of times during writing the book to the point where I was drowning the sheets of paper that I was writing on in tears, and it was like um, I'm writing about my heroin addiction and reliving all those horrible feelings The shame and guilt then I start writing about how I got myself better and an amazing thing happened when I'm writing that, I'm re-educating myself about how I managed to get all those years of heroin and about the, the power of the mind, how the mind works. And I'm like, fucking hell! Like, what's wrong with you? Ask yourself the question again. So again, boom, what do you want? No, to be a drug addict. I was more liberal this time. I didn't want to be a drug addict. You know? And then, Again, instant. Let's do it. So I got to the point where I knew I've got a crushed spine. I didn't know if I was going to manage the pain without the tablets because I'd never tried it. For the day I broke my back, I've been on tablets. So there's only one way to find out how capable I am, and continuing to write the book. Um, instantly started to reduce on all my tablets. spacey a couple of weeks, I had dropped off my my opiate tablets and my back wasn't any worse. So I was like, well, this is this is amazing. I was angry at all these fucking white coats and army doctors that told me that I had to be on drugs for the rest of my life. I got angry and I was like, well, why the fuck? I've wasted so much of my life. And then it was like, oh, I'm going to get bitter. I'm going to get bitter here, and I'm going to blow my top. And I was like, who's that going to affect? It's going to affect my wife, of course. It's going to affect me. It's going to be, like, really bad for my recovery. So that lasted a day, and I thought, you know what? It's happened. I can't do anything about it. Um, And then I just worked on my recovery. The cannabis was the next drug, started tapering off. I bought CBD online, the, the legal stuff that doesn't have the THC. It, you know, so I bought that and I was starting to smoke that as a replacement. Um, it didn't work at first. So I re- I really just decided just to stop. And then it was quite difficult stopping the cannabis really i think maybe just as difficult if not more difficult than stopping opiates tablets at times um really was affected by the cannabis when i think about it but i was determined like i'm like i'm i'm getting drug free here like and there's nobody stopping me so um i've done it and that's me being over a year drug free now and i'm sitting here in front of you now in absolutely agony with my back because I'm hunched over at the camera, right? because I'm sitting like this at the camera, I should be sitting like this, but I don't know if you can still hear me so well, right? But my wife, if my wife comes to, it, she'll say, well, sit back. Hey, <laughs> sit back in the chair, <laughs> idiot. Right, aye. So I should be sitting like this, right, sorry. Hey, aye, fine, aye. so. You <laughs> so, you know, that was how I got to this and then I thought, I'm going to donate all the profits in my book to homelessness in Scotland. I'm going to go on a mission in life. A solo mission to do some good. Yeah, I care about the homeless. I don't believe that, you know, I can help the homeless as much as I can help the addicts in this world. I can I can sell my book and I can sell as many copies in my book as I can, and I can give all the money away to help the homeless. That's what I can do through writing words on a bit of paper. But what can I do as an individual? You know, and it's what can I dedicate my life to? Um, so I'm I'm doing loads of. I've got loads of charity events and stuff lined up, Jack. I've done a boxing event last year with Ben Jones and the professional boxers, um, PJ Tour golfer, and and an Olympic runner. And I've got more lined up for this year. I've got snooker events lined up and stuff. I can do these charity events. And like that, the the money for these events is going to help the homeless people because that's what they need. They need money they need house, they need a house they need, you know, a forever home and the only way for these for these people to get that is through money, so we'll not go into that because that'll send me off on a political rant and I didn't want that for you, so um, you know, but that's what they need and I, and I acknowledge that, but for me individually, for me Paul Bogey being one individual man what can I offer the world, and it's like I think it was my little brother uh, way back a year ago before I'd done my first live video on Facebook. I spoke to him and I told him about potentially going and getting a Facebook account and going live and talking about stuff. Um, And he said, the most important thing over and above anything else, bro, you need to have a story. And I said to him, "Right, what?" And you didn't think I've got a story, like I got like sort of defensive when he was saying it to me. And he was like, "No, bro, of course you have. Like, you know, for where you were to go and join in the fucking army, of course you've got a story." I was like, "Well, oh, well, thank you. Like, I'm glad you feel that way because that's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm hoping that other people that don't know me, like yourself, Jack. To be fair, you know." People in the world that had no idea who I was, becoming aware of who I am and what I'm trying to achieve with helping the addicts in this world. Um, and I say this world because, like, you know, like yourself, I mean, I'm on, I'm on this is podcast 21 for me, that I've been a guest on 21 podcasts all across the world, from India to New York. To florida so i'm getting out there i'm getting my story out there and it's helping people understand that change is possible you know that's it that over and above everything else that i'm doing in life people have to understand that change is possible and um, it comes from within us go and fucking get it is what I say to these people if you want it bad enough go and get it and then you listen to other people or negative people or people laughing at you um, you go and do what you want to do in life and achieve your dreams and goals and that's it and do you know what you're better to go and try at something in life and fail than to be lying on your deathbed and wishing that you tried and be living and have a life of regret. I wish I'd try. I wish I'd tried to get off heroin. I wish that I'd tried to join the army. I wish that I'd tried to be an author. I wish I'd tried, you know, fuck that. Like we're here once for a short time and then we're gone. There isn't any coming back. So as just say, just go for it. Like, and fuck everybody else that wants to be negative and horrible to you. They're irrelevant. Um, You know, and that's what I say. That's a message to anybody that's listening that is letting other people rule their lives. Um, Don't. And trust me, it is a simple, um, or it can be a simple thing. You know, it's your mind. Open your mind up to the possibility of change and anything is possible, regardless of what state you're in in your life. Any state, any age, any colour, any religion doesn't really matter. It's there for everyone. Um, And it's your mind. If you've got a narrow mind and you believe you are a certain way, you believe that you can't change, you know, you're going to be stuck in the same rut for your whole life. Going round in a circle. Um, You know? And it's like, I think I explained like um, being on a bus. Being on a bus, going round the same route every day goes to the same stops, comes back to the terminus, goes to the same stops. Get off the fucking bus and get a taxi, is what I say, right? Get a taxi and tell the taxi driver where you want to go in life, you know, and jump in the back of that taxi and fucking go, right? And, then, and, you know, if the taxi breaks down on the way to your destination, so what? At least you've tried, you know? And that's it. Like, just try and, to do something, then it, then it be letting other people put you down. Um, aye. So, in a nutshell, Jack, that is the life of Paul Bogey. I don't know how long that took me to get that over to you. <laughs> but uh, probably how 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 many minutes, Jack?
0: Uh, about
1: fifty. Fifty. Fucking hell, yeah, about man! Fifty
0: minutes. <laughs> I'm slacking. That's, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's, that was the first time I've I've heard your story all the way through um you know and it I can identify a lot of it um you know I I tried the um the reserves when I was younger um, but I just I I couldn't st- you know I I I couldn't stand authority so you you know, immediately that, you know, I had no drive. I had no thing for all that. What I got from the start of your story was powerlessness. Um, You know, when every addict has felt that powerlessness and um, that hopelessness and that want to just change, but not being able to get up onto that step of recovery. Um, And sometimes it takes a, a, a a big jar to get you get you up there you know for me it it took years and deathbed really but you know um it's i don't know it's the simplest disease but it's the most it's the most difficult disease as well you know it's just I've been an addict for most of my life, and you know, I've been in recovery for certainly over half my life. And um, it still never ceases to surprise me, the wisdom I get from other people like yourself, you know, where you made that choice. I had to ask a higher power to stop. That's the difference between you and I. I, I couldn't get, all, I couldn't do it on my own steam, or I couldn't do it on my own, you know, um, I, I couldn't imagine how, how you'd, you'd do it without a, a faith, without a, a God in your life, to be honest. You know, that, that's me, on my faith, because I need a higher power to sort of ground me. but you know, I asked him to take it away and he, he took it away. And I, you know, it, it was simple. He it, it took it away there and then, and I, you know, I, I haven't used it in almost seven years, you know, six years, 10 months. And, um, Brian. just to give it up, mate, just, to make that decision. That, that, that takes some resolve. That takes some absolute resolve. Um, You know, was it just that you making that decision or did you have to sort of put steps in there
1: to push yourself forward? It was, it was instant. I had dreamed in no longer being an addict for many years and tried and failed, you know. Um, and I was hopeless. I was powerless. It wasn't going to be my, um, my decision. The decision had was going to have to come to somewhere else that was going to have to make me um, stop. And, you know, so I fantasised probably most days whilst I was on heroin and stuff about not being on heroin. You know, I would probably would fantasize a little bit about what it would be like, and imagine having a real, imagine going back and working, imagine having a girlfriend, imagine having a wife, you know, and all these sorts of things. And then the reality would hit, you know, like as I'm sitting there with my tin foil and my bag of heroin, the reality would hit that that's just not me. Um, but the that it, it creeped up on me. Um, you know, when you were when you were talking there, do you know what's a little bit. Um, Title, my title in life. Um, obviously, I'm I'm a husband and I'm a dad and stuff. But in recent times, you'll know because you're an author. You get that title of being an author. It's a proud, it's a proud um, moment. It's a proud moment, right? A title of being an author. Um, and last week we were talking about like um, an influencer. People were calling me an influencer. Not in your sort of your typical social media terms like jumping around with Reebok trainers, but having the, the ability to influence people. Um, and again, to go, I, I've got your question and I, I am working to it. Um, so I've been thinking about it myself and what I do in life now is. I plant seeds in people's minds, like this crazy American psychologist done to me. Bear in mind, I'm a heroin addict, I'm hopeless, I've fucking given up on life, I've been suicidal, I'm heavily depressed, I'm heavily medicated, and this American psychologist is telling me that change is possible. Unbeknownst to me, he'd planted a seed in my mind, a memory. Um, I didn't know that I existed until that morning. So I could be, I suppose in a way, I could be classed as a farmer, Jack. You know? Like, I'm, I'm the farmer, right? We are, I'm a farmer that's fucking going out and planting seeds in people's minds in the hope that one day um, they water that seed in their own mind and realise the the power that these individuals have got, that they're not useless. Doesn't matter what mistakes they've made in the past. They can repair a lot of the damage by what they do in the future. Um, you know, and that's where I'm at. It's just what I plant seeds. And that's what that guy done that for me that morning, is I, I put a little bit of water on that seed. Um, and I heard them, like, Ch- change is possible, so it was a, it was very much a, an instant, like don't fucking ask for heroin ever again. And I wasn't talking to anybody else in the mirror; I was looking straight in my own eyes, and I was talking to myself, you know. And there's been many occasions over my life where I probably could have been sectioned and put in a fucking straitjacket. For some of the shit that I've done, or for some of the shit that's gone on, or talking to myself. Now, I advise people to talk to themselves. Self-talk is one of my um, one of my greatest tools in my recovery, is my ability to self-talk and say, well, do you know what? if you go over to him right now and you punch his fucking head off, guess what? You're going to get the jail, right? And all the hard work you've put in, in life is all going to become undone, you know? And I'm not perfect, but I've, I'm now so tapped into my own mind that I can see the error in my ways, Jack, even now, you know? I can see the things that I do wrong, and when I do wrong, I try and learn from it. So, you know, that's why I'm in a good position a strong position now to be able to help these addicts because these addicts need inspired for somebody who's been where they've been. Unfortunately, a lot of the addicts have been suicidal like what I was. And you can write as many fucking books as you want about suicide. Unless you've actually prepared yourself to leave this earth purposely. You can write as many books as you want. You can't relate to somebody. It's the same with addiction. Talking about cold turkey, you can write as many books about heroin withdrawal as you want. Until you've lived that life, Um, you know, it's a very difficult thing. And that's what I've got. I'm destined to be here. I'm not religious, Jack, you know? I'm an atheist. And many religious people um, believe that I'm doing God's work. Um, And I don't rule that out. You know, I don't disbelieve, I've got nothing negative to say about religion. I just don't know what I believe entirely. So it would be naive of me to make myself put myself into a bracket. So um, people say I'm doing God's work. That may be. That may be the case. Unbeknownst to me, I might be doing that. Um, It might turn out that one day in my life um, something happens, and God rocks up in my head and says, "You know what?" I was there. See that little person in your mind that's self-talking, that was telling you no to take heroin? That little person that was telling you no to get in a fight And all that time? That's me. And that's who I am. And, you know, would it make a blind bit of difference to me? No, wouldn't it wouldn't. I wouldn't have a problem with suddenly becoming religious. Well, I was, you know, as long as I'm um, a good person and I'm in recovery and I'm helping other people through sharing my turmoil that I've lived in my life, then so be it, you know. Um, whatever I get branded, it doesn't really matter to me, or, or whatever becomes of me, I'm no bothered. As long as I'm I'm doing good, I don't care. <laughs> you know? I, 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 um, I'm with you there, mate. I'm with you there. I mean, I do attribute a lot
0: of my own God, but you, you know, I mean, I can give, give credit to God where credit is due, but I have to give myself credit that I have actually done a lot of the work. Um, and, and that's putting into the program. Um, you, you know, uh, I couldn't live without 12 steps to be honest. Yeah. Um, though I don't meetings. um, You know, I find that whole thing difficult, Um, I find people difficult, I find um, people in the rooms difficult, so I believe that when when we've passed a certain way and we're into recovery, I believe that we we can only get to keep the recovery that we have by giving it away. And um, that's why I do this. I know that that's part of why you do this. Um, because I believe that we should be teachers. Even if we can't teach, we should teach. Because we've been there, we, we've seen it, we've done it, we've lived in that cusp of society. Um, and only we can understand the true turmoil that addicts, go through. And it is, it's difficult. You know, it is is—it is really difficult. And that's why I do these. That's why I try and get people on to share their stories, because that's a big part of recovery, you're sharing your experience, your strength and hope. Um, as, as you well know. Um, so yeah, uh, you've got a second book you're working on haven't you?
1: Yeah, I've been writing that today actually, mate. So Uh, was it a week ago, two weeks ago, I started to start writing the second book. I've learnt from the mistakes of the first book and the way that I write. It's all on the laptop. There's not a sheet of paper in the house that's got anything written on it. Um, It's straight into the laptop just to make it easier to format. So, um, I'm enjoying writing this time, Jack. It's like I mentioned to you earlier, you know, writing this flaming thing, jeez, it was tiring. Like, so many... Um, yeah, just just tiring, so many nights, nights and days of crying and reliving my past, reliving that turmoil to think about what needs to be said in the book. And it was hard. Um, this time round, The second book is a continuation of the first. So the first thing that I mention in the the book is about my breaking free to become drug free, which I mentioned to you tonight. That's the first thing that I want people to know, because in this book, I'm still smoking cannabis and I'm still on all my tablets. So on the second book, you know, that's the first bit of information I want people to know is I've done it. I broke free and I got drug free. Um, then it is the life is social media that I'm writing about right now. Um, the social media is very much like drugs or drugs. Um, there are good points to drugs and there are bad points to drugs. If there wasn't any good points, nobody would fucking take any drugs. You know, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> cocaine, hallucinogenics, um whatever, whatever drug it is, it has a pro, but every drug has a con, and social media is a bit like that. That social media is amazing; it has loads of pros, and it also has loads of cons. So I'm writing in the book, putting, and I've done the, I've done the pros. People like Callum Beattie supporting me, Colin Lilly, um, Leo Gregory, um, Danny Swanson, Chris Small, Billy Lockett. All these people that have supported me over the last year on social media. I'm writing about them. And today, I was writing about the negative side of social media. Which put me in a bit of stinkery mood a little bit because I'm having to relive these trolls, wankers, jealous people that I've got in my life right now. Um, many of them are still on my Facebook. You know, <laughs> like let's be let's be, be truthful about it. Like, no, of of like I've got like um, eighteen thousand followers on my social media. And then I've got five thousand friends on my Facebook, so there's like you th- you think hey, all those people there's loads of people in there that fucking hate me <laughs> and want to see me fail and you know and when I'm writing about it and I'm writing about the, the sort of hate that I've had smackhead you went from being a smackhead to killing kids in a war that you shouldn't have been in and 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 I like have you read the book like you know it's just that judging a book by its cover. <clears throat> and I've just had a whole load of hate um for people. So I've got about another two paragraphs, Jack, of writing about the negatives of social media, and then that's it done. That can get the fuck out of my head and put put aside. Yeah. Then I'm talking I'm gonna be doing the boxing event. <clears throat> then I'm gonna be talking about um podcasts which um you will be mentioned then. So it won't be a big mention, Jack, right? But um your name, obviously I've need to ask your permission. You gave me a thumbs up right now. So I'm gonna take that as your as your, um, <laughs> your 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 signature that I'm allowed to mention your name. Um you know yeah. I'm no, no that's fine, mate. That's fine. You know, writing about these doing podcasts, um Mm-hmm. and How exciting they are, how nerve wracking they are. Certainly, initially, I don't give a, you know, I'm a seasoned veteran now <laughs> with, with these, uh, so I'm no nervous at all. You can probably tell, but um, at the early stages, it was, I remember shitting myself like, really, really getting mm-hmm. nervous, sweaty under my pits, really bad, and sitting thinking, Whoa, whoa, whoa what are they going to ask me? They're going to ask me, uh, they're going to try and trick me or going to try and trip me up or going to try and you know thinking what what we're going to talk about then i soon realized as long as i be myself and talk about my life which is what people want to know about um i kind of go far wrong you know it's one of those things if if, you know if i was telling a lie i would have to keep reconfirming like me thinking about this lie that, that I've told 100 people this lie and I've told another 100 people this lie and then I'm going to tell more lies and then you need to cut. how fucking tired, how, how tired would that be if you've got to keep track of all the lies that you've told? Um, fuck that. But, you know, so I just be honest, brutally honest. I'm happy to talk about heroin addiction. I'm happy to talk about why I became suicidal. I'm happy to talk about the army. I'm happy to talk about being an author. Um. I'm happy to talk about anything, everything and anything. So that'll be an interesting chapter in the book where I'm talking about podcasts because I've really enjoyed them. And of course, my story is no finish, mate. You know, I'm still on this mission. So the book won't be finished until the documentary is out. I'm filming for a documentary at the moment. Um, I've got a feature film that's going to come off the back of the documentary. Yes. So a real-life train spotting. When things like that, that may or may not be the end of the second book. It depends on time scale, Jack, and, and how quickly things move along. Um, the end of the documentary yeah. may be the end. I don't know, but I'll keep writing until until it feels right. For that to be the end, of the the second book, um, and then from there, I quite enjoy writing Jack. You know, it's like when I'm in it's when dramatic. I'm in the headspace, it's like I I, I can do this. <laughs> yeah, I, I I find it fantastic.
0: Yeah. You are freezing a bit, mate. I do apologise if there's a bit of a lag.
1: Oh, then, and it must be temperamental again, is it?
0: Yeah, it's dropping a little bit, but um, it'll be (laughs) alright. We'll get through it. Um, Yeah. um, Yeah, I mean... I love I love Leo Gregory. is is a, a really nice man. Um, he has my second book um, that I sent him. Um, yeah, uh, he's a, he's a good good supporter. Um, we 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 started this journey of podcasting around about the same time, and um, you know I remember you know the first podcast we did together was kind of our first one. Uh, with We just two people on on live and it was the first time that i sort of got honest truly honest and shared my full story um over facebook um so you know why would I say no to you putting my name in there <laughs> you know <laughs> that whole interview was the birth of the accidental journalist, you know, that was the seed that you planted or helped to plant in my head that said, actually, I could do more of these and I could share some of that wisdom that I've had given to me. Yeah. Um, So, you you know, you're right about the seeds and, you know, you're right. You you know, you are kind of like a, we are kind of like farmers um pop, popping those seeds out and just hoping that some of them come into fruition um you know uh, you've certainly inspired me a lot in your journey um i can only hope um uh, to get even one follower behind you <laughs> um that would be phenomenal but um i've got so much respect for you mate it's um, it's just to see you going from that first sort of podcast to the way that you're going now and all, everything that you've done, documentary, the film. You know, I wait with bated breath. You know, I I just I'm really looking <laughs> forward to seeing you shine. So it's been really, it, it's been great watching your journey. Um, you know, it's been a real pleasure. Uh. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to wind this up. Um, I'll take it off live and we'll have a quick wind down. Yeah. That's all right?
1: Yeah, of course, mate. Aye. Cool.
0: Brilliant. Right, guys. Thanks for tuning in as always. Um, We do have one next week. Um, Next Tuesday. We have two next week, actually. Um, We have Marmarimba on Monday. Um... Talking about his life. And then we have, let me just have a look through, I believe it is Do-do-do. Aidan Martin. Well, oh, there you go. Come on and speak. So, uh, yeah, that, then that'll be on Tuesday, both at 8 o'clock. Um, same place, same time. Um, so I'll see you then, guys. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Thanks for your um, your comments. Uh, we shall be looking for them momentarily. Cheers, guys.